Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Yeah, good to see everybody. We're here. We are at the fourth of our uh, five se- uh, five teachings on the five solas of the Reformation. Uh, the rest of them are up online. Scott's uh, been really diligent getting those up for us. So, uh, sermonaudio.com. If you need help accessing that, uh, I can help you after today. Uh, but we uh, start today then with uh, Solus Christus, Christ alone. And in the age that we live in, um, there could be a good discussion. We won't have it now of, you know, which of these five solas would be the most controversial today. Um, And some would argue this one is. Um, However, the the principle that makes it the most controversial, I think, applies to all of them. And it's right in the name uh, only. Uh, The claim of exclusivity that... There's only one way, or it's grace alone, or faith alone, uh, sort of box against the the spirit of the age, right? At least on paper, the spirit of the age uh, says that there's many ways. There's, you know, you find your own path, and yet even the most stringent holder to that view is still saying to you, the only way is that there's many ways, right? And so when we think of Christ alone— I think this one will be the one that on the surface people would have the most issue with. It, in some ways for good reason because it, it just speaks of Christ and the gospel and, and makes an exclusive claim that he is the only way of salvation. Um, we've talked about this idea that we live out of our metaphors. In, in our day and age, it can, it can sound to people uh, that when you make an exclusive claim like Christ alone, that you're being closed-minded, uh, that you haven't done your research, that you're not thinking of other people and their, their, their held beliefs. Uh, but there's different metaphors we could think of. Um, think of a dear friend on the brink of death in a hospital, and he holds in his hand um, a medicine bottle uh, that you see is just sort of scribbled in handwriting, and you know that the medicine he wants to take, that he believes will heal him, is poison. Uh, a charlatan gave it to him, said, hey, if you take this three times a day, you'll, you'll be okay. It certainly would numb the pain, but it would slowly kill him. But he really believes it's healing him. And so who are you to tell him and, and ruin his joy? I mean, he's, he's a dying man already. Uh, who are you? What's more unloving than to tell him and ruin it that this placebo is not actually Effective, And yet we know that that's the most loving thing you could do for the person, right? Is to help them see and understand, no, what you're taking is poison. And there actually is a remedy available. There's only one remedy. It's not whichever one you find uh, and, and, and to lead them to it. Of course, we know the spirit leads them to it ultimately. So Solus Christus then is a doctrine that protects the honor and glory of Christ and of the Father and the Spirit. It rightly proclaims the way, the truth, and the life to those who are perishing and as we'll see uh, toward the end, it has implications even for ordering our loves rightly in the Christian life. Um, so it, it's good that we dwell on this, um, on this great doctrine of the faith. You'll see on your, on your outline as we, before we dive right into uh, Solus Christus, just by way of overview to just, I won't go through these definitions again, but I, I put them there for you. Um, and... Uh, uh, We've looked at God's glory alone. We started there. It sort of starts and ends there. You could go in any order, really, but we chose this order. Uh, scripture alone, Dennis uh, so aptly helped us understand. Grace alone, last week, uh, Brian 
uh, masterfully brought us through. Uh, We'll look at Christ alone, of course, today. And then Calvin will finish us off, Lord willing, next week with uh, faith alone. And for, you know, Reformation Sunday itself, it's a good place to end, right? And we saw, as we look at these, we, we want to look at the five solas together. We, we said that no sola stands alone. Uh, that like a, like a spider web or something interconnected, they, they build off of one another. And any one of them can be sort of a gateway into understanding the other ones. We could have started with Christ alone. And, and like we'll do today, show in Scripture that he's the only way of salvation. From there, we could have turned to Scripture alone or God's glory alone. Um, and so it, we see that they stand together. Uh, and so if someone tries to pluck one of them out and say, well, this one doesn't quite fit the spirit of the age, unwittingly they'll lose all five of them because they stand together. Um, before we dive into Solus Christus, it, as we start to move toward the end of this series, I, I did want to hear from you. On a positive level, have there been things that have struck you over these last few weeks that, you know, you you say, I want to put that on the shelf of my mind and heart to think about um, in any of the solos or big picture? I'd love to hear us voice just a little bit. Hey, this is something I want to hang on to for the years to come. Yeah, Jeremy. I just want to say I wasn't here for the last meetings, but I was out in the field talking to lots and lots and lots of people. I mean, lots of people. Christians and non-Christians, mostly mostly Christians though, those are the ones who want to engage in talking to. And, and the, the stuff they're being fed, a lot of these new Christians, new people coming to Christ, if, if you want to even call it that, um, it's pretty bizarre. Um, all these right here are very, very important, and we should all really know these very, very well, because a lot of our conversations, if we're talking to people outside of OPC and sure. part of factual good doctrinal churches, well, this is this is going to be the, the things that come up, and when you talk to people, say, "Hey, are you Christian?" Oh, yeah, I'm Christian. Oh, yeah, you know, you know Jesus. Yeah, I'm Christian. Well, what do you think about grace? You know, what is grace? Sure. And they won't have any idea what grace is. They'll say it's an unfor- it's a uh, uh, unearned gift or something like that, or you know, and yeah, it is. But what does it really mean? Sure. When you start getting the nuts and bolts of it. So these are really important. I'd say sola gratia, though. That's probably your biggest fight that we have out there right now. Um. By sure. grace alone. Armenians, it's not by grace alone. That's right. Um, uh, 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 anyone, Jehovah's Witnesses, I mean, they don't believe in Jesus being God, but they're still, they're going to have a problem with, with uh, solar here. So, but all these, they, they do all go together, but, and all these have a place. When you start talking and digging in Good. with these Christians, they can say, well, I don't need to go to church. Well, why don't you need to go to church? Usually if they say they don't need to go to church, usually they're going to talk about the Bible and what the Bible says to be in supreme authority. That's good, Jeremy. Let's hear from someone else, too. What, um, what else? That's great. Even, at, even with Christians, it's not just apologetic to non-Christians, but our fellow brothers and sisters ultimately are hungry for depth to say, oh, the Bible actually teaches on these things. Anything else stick out that you'd say, hey, let's remember this? As we walk away from this series, let's not walk away from this takeaway. I think the general idea of uh, exclusivity and what you uh, started with, uh, we don't have to be apologetic. Uh, you know, if men are sinners, right. and if uh, the wages of sin is death, and then, there, then we have to have a, a savior that absorbed death in our place. That's right. Um, 
Yeah, so Dennis is saying that that exclusivity part of it is not something we should shy away from. Doesn't mean we're jerks. Doesn't mean we, you know, just say, "Oh, that's a dumb question." No, we engage with people, but we point them to know there is an answer. So uh, you can lovingly do that. You can speak the truth in love. Okay, maybe one last thought before we dive in. Yeah, Dave. I think we're dealing with the spirit of the age today that is so blatant. Uh, compared with what it was a few years ago, that this these solos here really hit the heart, heart of the matter because of all of the diversity, the inclusiveness, and all of this thing. Uh, right. This this really is a barrier to all of that type of thinking, and it's needed. Good. Great. Could be like a bitter medicine, right? Um, sometimes the gospel is talking about as a bitter medicine. It's it we need it. <laughs> Uh, it, it deals with death. It deals with sin, uh, but ultimately leads to life. So let's look at Solus Christus then. And uh, again, just to read the definition, I, again, I'm taking this from uh, Dr. James Anderson, an RTS professor. There's many other good definitions out there, but uh, for our purposes here, Jesus Christ is the only savior of sinners and his atoning sacrifice is sufficient to save them. At the very least, this means... Uh, I'll use three adjectives here that I'll just give them all and then we'll talk about them. Christ is exclusively Savior. That's sort of what we've been talking about. There's no others. He's not one among many Saviors, one among many ways. Christ is exclusively Savior. Uh, Second, Christ is sufficiently Savior. Nothing and no one in addition. Christ didn't do 50% or 90% or 99% of the work. He, He purchased a people for God. And then lastly, Christ is necessarily Savior. Necessarily Savior. It's not just that if someone decides to follow Christ and he's one sufficient way, no. It's necessary given our sinful condition and necessary, we'll see this morning, uh, by the the plan of God. (laughs) The cross was plan A from before time. So Christ is exclusively Savior. That's what we tend to focus on, rightly so. If you had to memorize one verse today, it would be Acts 4.12. You might already know it. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Right? Luke is not pulling his punches. Uh, no, they were witnesses to this. Christ alone is Savior. No other name given. Under the heading of sufficiency, uh, we see, for instance, in Hebrews 7, that unlike the priests of old, his sacrifice was once for all, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for the saints. He's not re-sacrificed every week. Uh, there's not uh, work left to be done to take care of our sin through penance or anything like that. Uh, I remember my, my youth pastor growing up would often say, Christ plus anything, you might know this, equals nothing, right? And we don't mean Christ plus following his commandments. Like, that's part of Christ. If you love me, follow my commandments. But Christ plus anything, Christ's work plus my works to earn salvation really equals nothing. Now, Christ's work, and I'm saved, and that pours over into good works empowered by him. Amen. That's biblical. But Christ, and trying to add anything to earn his love equals nothing. Uh, Dr. Anderson in his lecture gives the example of, you know, going to an art museum with friends and and you see this beautiful Rembrandt uh, up on the wall and uh, for some reason it's unprotected. So 
uh, and you say, this really is a masterpiece. It's amazing, but it's missing something. And you pull out your uh, pack of crayons and you start to, you know, add some shading and circle the important characters. And, and you say, ah, now, <laughs> now it's, it's complete. Um, you could see how it would, it would ruin uh, the painting. And uh, to go to the point of God's glory alone, it would uh, dishonor uh, the painting, the artist, all of it to say, well, that was good, but I think it needs a little, a little something. And, and really that's what we get at with the sufficiency. Christ's work was sufficient. It actually did what it set out to do for God's glory, for purchasing a people. Um, I'd, I'd encourage you to look at, I mean, Galatians as a book, um, really, it, there's many things Galatians is doing, but Paul is sort of answering that question, is not Christ enough for you, Christian? He says in Galatians 1, 6 through 8, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. Uh, Paul, as it, as it were, invoking a curse on himself that even if I, Paul, come to you and say it's Jesus plus something else, circumcision or you know, Old Testament rites in this case, or Jesus plus my works, uh, then let me be a curse. That's not the gospel. And so Christ is sufficient. And, and last, Christ's work is necessary as Savior. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John fourteen six. right? Uh, that's another key, key verse to, to have in our hearts. And then even John 3.16, of course, can be distorted if taken alone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or even verse 17, some would point to this and, and say, look, this is a more universal gospel. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And we say amen, but we also keep reading. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And do you see how that bookends that to say, yes, God's love is expansive. It, it, it's, 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 it's beyond our comprehension, his love uh, uh, for the world and for his people in particular. But those who reject him are condemned already because Acts chapter 4, he's the only name under heaven given to us. So these are, just to, just to lay it out very briefly, that's, that's in a summary fashion what we mean by Christ alone. There's much more that we could mean, but those are some of the main categories. We're going to look in a second at sort of the why. Um, in one sense, it's enough, right? If Scripture says there's no other name under heaven given, that's already reason enough for us to say, well, okay, that's the Savior. I need to follow that Savior. Uh, but Scripture also gives us the, the why. The, I, I love God's word because he gives us his divine reasons for things too. Um, and so let's, uh, it, uh, let's look at it demonstrated here. Um, it, there's so many scriptures, and, and certainly you all could offer up many other scriptures. Um, maybe even of the solas, this is one that we probably all have some in, in, stored up in our heart about Christ being our only Savior. Uh, but First Timothy 2, 5 through 6 is a great place to go. There's only one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we'll see today, Luke twenty four forty seven, that 
Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Right? As we've said, it's faith in Christ. It's not just faith or forgiveness in, in some vague sense. It's through Christ and his work. Uh, or John twenty thirty one. Uh, John gives his purpose statement that he wrote all these things, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And, and of course, Acts 4, 4.12, as we've seen. So here's the big picture and, and a little bit of scriptural warrant. We're going to start diving into some of the why, uh, but let me pause for a second. What, did that generate any quick clarifying questions before we dive into we're going to look at the standards and then go to some uh, arguments against this doctrine so that we could strengthen our sense of it. But is there a question or two at this stage as we've laid out some of the scriptures, laid out the definition? Well, probably not from us because we come from a Reformed theology. If we truly have adopted it, we just to us... We, we acknowledge this and we understand it. I didn't know that when I first came to Christ. Sure. But so many of people that I know, everyone you say, and believers have such a distorted understanding of how they've come to faith right. and their participation or whatever they think they're adding to. Right. So there could be a sense that those of us who have sort of enter the Reformed camp, which we think is biblical, come to realize maybe we've even believed this before we had it articulated. Uh, but we say, oh, yes, this makes sense. Of course it's Christ alone. I, I couldn't have done this. That's a good... Any other thoughts or questions before we dive into some of our confession? Some of you are like, yes, and some of you... <laughs> Let's dive... Yeah, Dave. We've mentioned before, you know, it's understanding God's sovereignty and then you've got man's responsibility and it's it's a difficult thing for us for human reason to, to pull these together because we, we, we are going to answer for our behavior on judgment day if, you know even events right. in the world uh, affect us but and it's a very difficult thing to bring together but I think the spirit enlightens our minds to be able to, to rest right. with the fact that this that is the case and our, our human weakness. Right. Fully understand it. That's right. There, there's mystery there. I, I did hear a quote from Spurgeon in the last couple of weeks. Someone asked him, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and human responsibility? And he's quoted as saying, I didn't know that friends needed reconciliation, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, which is a very Spurgeon way. Of, hopefully he also sat down with the person and talked it through, but <laughs> he probably just walked away and, and preached. But um, so, so Westminster standards, and we're not going to exhaustively go here, but I, of course, I, I think these are accurate summaries of our faith and I commend them to you um, on the OPC website. If you don't have a printed copy, you can go and they have the scripture references. It, it's actually a really nice format because as you read it, you could just click, oh, where's the scripture for that? Um, it, it, and there's really obviously good solid theology and, and a very pastoral tone often. Uh, but you'll see in it, uh, Confession of Faith, chapter 8, this starts to get at the, the sort of biblical logic, trying to summarize why is it Christ alone from, from God's perspective. And, and that would sharpen our understanding of this. We could prove that it is. We've already sort of done that. But, th- but there's biblical reasoning behind uh, God's commands here. So 
Uh, here in 8.5, it says, The Lord Jesus, by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he, through the eternal spirit, once offered up unto God, hath fully satisfied the justice of his Father, and purchased not only reconciliation, but an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father hath given unto him. There's a beautiful summary of many of the things we've been talking about. Um, but just to focus on here, if you said, well, why, why could only Christ save us? There's many things we could say, but here we see both the, what we call the active, active obedience of Christ and the passive obedience of Christ. Passive not meaning that he was inactive or uh, active meaning he, before Christ died for us, he lived for us. Uh, remember Adam from the very beginning, the, the reason we're in the state that we're in without Christ is that Adam did not live unto God. He disobeyed. He didn't obey the commandment. Uh, he didn't live out perfect obedience and righteousness. And then Israel came and they didn't. Uh, every other person under Adam came and didn't. And then here comes Christ, the son of God, uh, who was led out into the wilderness, just like Israel. But where Israel failed, Christ pointed to scripture. Christ rebuked Satan. Christ obeyed uh, uh, long before the cross, he obeyed in the place of God's people. The passive obedience is what we've been focusing on Sunday mornings, especially through the cross, that he, he underwent the punishment due uh, for our sin, the wrath of God. And you can see that both of these are necessary, right? Um, it, it would be amazing enough if we would have our sins forgiven, but he's a holy God. Uh, and so it, it, it's not enough that we would have the scoreboard sort of leveled to zero, uh, he demands rightly perfect obedience, perfect holiness. Be holy as I am holy. And Jesus Christ is the only man who was perfectly holy as God is holy. And so that's one answer we can give on a deeper level. If we peel back a little bit and say, why does the Bible tell us that Christ alone could have done this? That Christ alone could have done this. Um, another, another uh, Marilyn, what's next on the outline? I forget what I put. For the uh, confession part of it? 8-6. Okay. Um, we might come back to 8-6. 8-6 is great, and it, it helps answer the question, what about Old Testament saints? If it's faith in Christ alone. Uh, so I, I do commend that to you. We'll come back to it if we have time and, and interest. For now, let me, let me just, and you'll just sort of hear this, but larger catechism questions 38 and 39 are wonderful because they say, 38 basically says, why was it necessary that Christ should be God or the mediator should be God? And then 39 says, why is it required that he should be man? And this is peeling back and on a deeper level saying, why is it Christ alone? Uh, because to summarize, they say it way better, but why would he need to be God? Because only God could offer such a sacrifice that would be sufficient for all of God's people. None of us here could even think that we could offer ourselves up. There's been many martyrs and they should be honored in Christ, but no martyr in the Christian faith would ever say, oh, and my blood would be sufficient to forgive the sins of, of my brothers and sisters, all of them. There's other answers we give, but let's focus on that. On the other hand, why must he be man? Because man is the one who's guilty before God. Uh, we were born in Adam. Christ is the new Adam. And so he comes. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, 
so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And so you could spend a lot of time just digging in there, um, but there's a wealth of biblical answers for why. Why is it Christ alone and not someone else? Why wasn't it Moses or uh, other you know, faithful uh, uh, ones? But let, let's turn then to defending the doctrine. I want to make sure we have time for this. And if you want to put your thinking caps on, I, I want to sort of start to put together some of the things we've been working on together over the last few weeks. We said that no scripture stands alone. Oh, and the fill in there is, let's defend it first by the other solas. Um, and so assuming, right, someone has on some level bought into, okay, scripture alone, grace alone. Okay, I'm following you. I don't know about Christ alone though. <laughs> I believe in Christ, but I'm not sure about this one. It sounds too exclusive. How would scripture alone argue for Christ alone? This might be the easiest one. Yeah, Jeremy. Because people believe what they want to believe, and that's not believing in the right, in the real Christ. We learn who the real Christ is from Scripture. That's right, exactly. In Christ alone, you've got to have the right Christ. That's right. You have to have the right Christ. Yeah, it, uh, Mormons have on their churches the name of Jesus Christ. And when they come to your door, they've actually been trained to even use language like this. And so they'll, they'll sound like they're saying, he's our Savior, he forgives our sins, we need to believe in him. It's not just by good works. <laughs> They'll slip in a word. Um, so, but when you start to peel away and say, but who is Jesus? Then they'll start to quote the Book of Mormon or other things. And then when you say, well, actually, the Book of Mormon says that uh, Christ, uh, God was once as we were. Adam became God. Sometimes they'll say, huh? <laughs> uh, but if, if they're sharp, they'll say, well, yes, but... And you start to peel it back and realize it's a different Christ, right? Not just to pick on the Mormons, but um, yeah, Scripture alone argues for uh, this Christ, not another Christ. Uh, yeah, uh, so, Cindy. Um, the Mormons don't believe that Jesus is God. Correct. Correct. And so, you're, I just want to clarify what you said a few minutes ago. We have to believe Jesus is God because that would be a perfect sacrifice. No human. Yeah, that one. Pe- that's one answer we can give. There's certainly other aspects to why the Christ would be God and man. But yeah, when we're thinking of the sacrifice, and he had to be human because we're human. We need that's right. Needed yeah, a, an angel couldn't have died in our place, and so the the Book of Hebrews will even say he he didn't die for angels specifically because he wasn't an angel. So it, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a good place to press in on someone to say, yeah. Dave? It gets tricky here with Mormons when you use the term God because uh, they believe that uh, as man is, God was. And as God is, man will become. Mm-hmm. There's no distinction between the creator and the creature. So using the yeah. It's a progression of being, yeah. And that's essentially what happened to Jesus. He moved on and now yep. his own planet to become God of this planet. And, and, and most cults, most Christian cults, meaning claiming to be Christian, will still try to have a very high view of Jesus. They can't get around it. And so it'll sound good to someone who has the image of God in them. They've read some scripture. 
And, and they're saying no, or, you know, uh, like Jehovah's Witnesses will say, you know, he's, he's like the firstborn of creation. He's, he's the greatest of created beings. <laughs> yeah. So they, they still elevate him. And most heresies still try to elevate Christ on some level, but they just fall so short from what scripture teaches us about who he is. Um, a good scripture to have in mind, we'll see this morning, is Luke 24, 44, where Jesus uh, it says, from the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that was a way of saying the whole Old Testament. Um, he says, everything is written about me, and it's now being fulfilled. Uh, so it's not just that there's a few proof texts. Um, all of it, uh, all of it is, is about Christ. Okay, what about grace alone? How would, how would grace alone, that we're not saved by our works, we're saved by the grace of God alone. How would that argue for Christ alone? If someone said, okay, I follow you, it's not my works, it's grace alone. But you say, yeah, but this leads us to Christ alone. Can you help make that connection? The grace of God has appeared. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Titus 2, the grace of God has appeared in history even, right? Okay, I like that. I feel like we see grace the most through what Christ did. Yeah. I love that. Both of these are good, like... Grounding it in historical redemptive events is so awesome. We can also look at different scriptures, that, but this is amazing. That you know, grace actually appeared, something happened. Christ did something in history that displayed the grace of God. That showed it's not just grace in some general sense, um, but through Christ. Okay, What else can we say? How does grace alone lead to Christ alone? Yeah, Jeremy? Okay, Arminians will say that, you know, Christ made the sacrifice, he did everything he needs to do, now it's up to you to decide. Okay, so Christ gets you to the 95-yard line, five yards left to go, you've got to get the ball in the end zone by accepting that free gift. That's right. But that's where we go wrong. That's now a gift you've entered into a contract with God saying, if I do this, you will give me that's this. Right. Now it's not a Christ alone. Now it's become by my own works. That's right. By grace alone, Christ starts it, he finishes it completely. We are a hindrance to our salvation. That's right. And, and again, that doesn't take away the human agency, as Dave was saying, human responsibility. Uh, faith is a gift of God. We, we do believe unto Christ. It's not like God believes through us. He empowers us to believe. We were dead in our sins. We would have never seen, let alone believed, without the work of the Spirit. Um, but, but yeah, it's not like even if we did 1%, I like that language of it, it would become a contract to say, I'm still elevating Christ, 99%. I mean, I couldn't do 99%, but I did do that 1%. And now I'm, there's something that's due to me. Um, I'm, I'm, I've earned it. I, I, I've, so, so even if it's sort of a humble so-called earning, remember Brian took us to Ephesians too, uh, that it's a gift of God that no man may boast. Um, yeah, Marilyn. That's right. And that's why these go together, right? <laughs> so I love it. Grace alone, in Christ alone, but it's through faith alone. Um, so it, I, I, faith alone certainly speaks against the works principle, but it also reminds us that, no, we, God has made us human beings uh, who need to, in the language of the catechism, receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Like grace is like a general well, yeah, principle. Well, here's grace, and I'm going to give you salvation by grace. And you said, really? Yeah, yeah, that's it. My point is, 
than, than Christ coming and becoming man and sacrificing himself would have no need if God That's right. could say, well, you can do the Jesus route, but I can just give you grace and you're, you're good right. too. It right. diminishes both That's right. of those, of those it, elements. I agree. I agree. Um, I think it, it, in some ways we've hit on faith alone. There's much we could say, uh, but le- that leads us to God's glory alone. And we're, we're running out of time here. So let me just summarize quickly. Kelly's hitting on that if, and this could apply to all of them, but if, if Christ really said that all of the old Testament spoke of him coming, living, dying, rising again, we're going to see this morning. He uses the language. It was necessary. This was plan A. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit conspired together before time. This was the plan uh, to purchase a people for himself. So how dishonoring, how much like the, the crayon on the Rembrandt painting for us to say, that's great. <laughs> I, I like it, but it's not done yet. I, I need to finish it with something. I need to give it a little flourish even if we're trying to still uphold, yeah, God did most of the work. No, he's saying, I purchased for myself a people. Um, or to put it sort of in a Trinitarian context, you know, what does, God say, what does God the Father say of Jesus? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The father delights in his son in a unique way. The, the son delights in the father. The father, son, delight in the spirit for they are all God in three persons. So just to put it, for God's glory alone, how dishonoring to look even just to God the Father and say, I see in Scripture that you had this plan that Christ would purchase a people, and but I need to add to that. It's a good plan. It's just not complete yet. Uh, can you see how on a personal level, to use literally, I guess, that language, that there's a dishonoring, and, and the New Testament will, will speak this way, trampling on the cross of Christ. Or if, if Christ really came to do something and then he said on the cross, it is finished, how dishonoring for us to act as if it's not finished or to try to finish it ourselves. Okay, we have five minutes, and we have these common objections. And so I'll, I'll, I'll put it to the room. Is there one of these objections that you would want to look at briefly. Certainly we'll look at the others in in future times, but these were just as I was thinking, what are some objections people tend to bring up? I think number four. Okay. Are we good with number four for our time here? Number four, how could a just God condemn to hell someone in a remote village who has never even heard the name of Christ? So who's heard this objection before? (laughs) let's be honest who on some level has thought this or wrestled with this at some point in your life we'll just say at some point in your whole life okay sure so let's talk about it briefly there's more that could be said um but again we there's many ways to answer this here's one crack at it just like we said earlier we tend to live out of our metaphors and the bible gives us good true metaphors to think about who we are, who God is. If, if the metaphors tend to lead us to a place that humans are basically good, there's a few rotten apples in there like Hitler, etc., who deserve punishment. But on the whole, humans are fundamentally good, innocent. Then the above question, 
hits pretty hard. If, if that's your view of humanity, then the above question is like, well, yeah, that, that woman carrying water uh, in the heat of Africa, she's never even heard of Jesus. So how could it be fair that we're saying, no, it's in Christ alone. There's no other name given under heaven by which men could be saved. I, I would encourage you for a moment to live in that for a second, that we're going to offer some biblical answer, but often when we're, when we're wrestling with someone apologetically, um, it's, it's good to live in the tension of that, to say, okay, some false views have led them to this place, but um, we need to be able to deal with that tension too and not sort of just dismiss it and say, well, here's a verse and you just don't think about it anymore and march on. That's actually what drives a lot of people away. Whereas I think scripture gives us both scripture, scriptural reasoning, and then where tension remains, then, then obviously we, we, we bring that to God. So Romans 1, 18, of course, uh, would be key in understanding this to give us a different metaphor, <laughs> a different real metaphor for humanity. Uh, it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness in men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Right, the image isn't of, we're not innocent, we're not, our, our problem isn't lack of knowledge. That if, if we would just get taught rightly, then we would believe. It's that we actually suppress the truth. We don't want to know about God, nor Christ. For what could be known about God is plain to them, uh, because God has showed it, shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Uh, so that they are without excuse. What Paul's arguing there is that even the remote village um, person is still born in sin under Adam and creation. uh, God has given creation in in such a way and an image of God in us that's marred uh, and yet there that even that remote uh, village person who's never heard the name of Christ has a sense that there is a God. Uh, has a sense uh, that they should follow this God. And again, to press the metaphor, they don't, it's not as if they have that sense and they say, oh, if only someone would tell me. It's that they suppress it and say, I I hate this God. And I will do anything (laughs) to not follow him. Now, does this relieve all the tension of the question? It doesn't. I, I, think, I think scripture brings us to this point and gives us right, good answers that we live on and we uphold those. But it, there are things that are mysterious. There are things that still have tension for us that to make it personal uh, cause me to say, God, why was at this point, why am I saved and my brother is not saved? So he's not in a rem- remote village. <laughs> uh, we same household. We went to the same church, same youth group, heard the same gospel. And that leads me to pray for him. This should lead us to missions to go. A third of the world's population has still not heard the name of Jesus, which is incredible in world history. That actually shows the amazing progress of the gospel uh, in the last hundred years even. But that should spur us on. Um, And so what I would caution against is what we like to do is relieve tension and and so what would relieve tension, and we do this in a sinful way, is, is we think, well, I was smarter or there was something in me. We would never say it like this because we're too humble, but there was something in me. And that's why, that's why I'm saved. And yeah, the most humble like Moses, right? But uh, I, it, there's something in me that made the difference because whew, 
that kind of relieves the tension because <laughs> um, now there's not mystery. It's God, you know, helps those who help themselves. We slip back into some of these false views. Instead, I think we live in the tension like the psalmist will live in the tension. How, the psalmist will pray, how long, O Lord? And that's a prayer of faith. It's not a prayer of, I don't believe in you, God. Like, show yourself. It's a, how long, O Lord? I know you're steadfast. My enemies are around me. Those aren't matching up. I trust you. How long, O Lord? So I, I think it could, it could lead us to that. And if we could live in the tension, when we sit down with that person, we could give good biblical answers and yet honestly say, yeah, th- that is tough. <laughs> and, and I wrestle with that too. But God's word uh, gives us a, a, a deep sense. I, I'm going to close this down here in just a sec. Yeah, Jeremy. I know there's a lot of good things we could say here. Um, with just one minute left, uh, overtime, with negative one minute left, just to, just to land the plane, hopefully, uh, Solus Christus in the Christian life, um, as we've sort of emphasized, Christ alone is the gospel message. Our, our plur- pluralistic age is desperate to hear, uh, whether they realize it or not. Um, there are loud voices in every quarter saying, this is the way, this is the truth. This is the life. And Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. People are hungry for that. And, and, and lastly, we'll just leave and meditating on this thought. Christ alone in your heart. It's, it's not just doctrine. It's not just out there. Not just in salvation, but the Christian life then uh, becomes, of sanctification, becomes a placing Christ as first in our heart, first among the other loves, even good loves, family, church, friends, neighbors, a Christ is at the apex, and, and we don't disorder uh, the order. Uh, like one of our great hymns says, speaking of the mercy seat in the Old Testament, which would point to Christ, Oh, let my hand forget her skill, my tongue be silent, cold and still, this bounding heart forget to beat if I forget the mercy seat. That it's Christ alone. I would rather die than have Christ dethroned from first uh, in my heart. Uh, let's, let's pray to that end. God, we thank you for uh, your word that it speaks so clearly uh, about the word, Christ, who came and lived and died in our place. I pray that he would be first in our hearts, uh, that we would live that out in such a way that the watching world would uh, be uh, awakened by the spirit, hungry for this Christ uh, alone. And I, uh, so uh, be enthroned then in our worship now as we gather. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody.